Welcome to episode number 57 of Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm Justin Gordon, your host, and in this episode, we have Madeline Mann, and she is a human resources leader in the technology industry with experience in building purpose-driven, dynamic company cultures and bringing the people element to every business decision, which is obviously so incredibly important. And she currently leads the talent development team at Inspire, which is a Los Angeles-based clean energy company where she crafts learning and development programs to further company initiatives. Prior to Inspire, she was on the human resources team at Scopely and was the director of people operations at GEM. And Madeline is also the creator of Self Made Millennial, which is a YouTube channel. And she's the author of Fill in the Blank, Job Hunt, Essential Email Templates for the Job Search, this year, Madeline was named a top 50 person to follow on LinkedIn and a top 10 YouTube channel for job seekers with thousands of subscribers there. And her work has been featured on Business Insider, Newsweek, Career Contessa, and more. So many gems, so many good insights from Madeline in this episode. Stick around to the end for also a special deal from Madeline. As always, the show notes are at justgogrind.com slash podcast. And if you head over to iTunes, Apple Podcasts, you can leave a rating and review. I would, I would very much so appreciate that. And Just Go Grind can be found on all the podcasting platforms, so many of them. It's all over. And check out the Just Go Grind Facebook community, facebook.com slash group slash Just Go Grind. Without further ado, here is Madeline Mann. Madeline, welcome to the show. Hey, Justin. Happy to be here. Yeah, and you're going to talk about all things people and people operations and talent acquisition, so many different things. And obviously, you're a new company as of March 2019, but I want to talk about Gem a little bit to get started with because you had such a big impact on that company. And you mentioned building out all the features of the people team. I'm curious as to how you approached that initially, even coming into Gem in the first place. Yeah, so coming into Gem, there was no human resources function, right? It's the typical startup situation where everyone kind of is grabbing onto a piece of it in one way or another, uh, kind of just trying to make sure things are working in the right way, but uh, really no rhyme or reason to the way things were going. And so I stepped in and I just took a survey of everything that was happening. I mean, the first thing what I did is that I did is interviewed each employee, right? Because First thing you always have to know is the team dynamics and the culture. What are some of the rocks under the water? What are people thinking? Even asking people, what does the company do? Right? Why do you do it? And seeing those answers and seeing how is that different among different people or is that aligned? And even asking people, who do you report to? That answer actually is not always just cut and dry. Really? Yes. Yes. In a startup environment, it can be a little, you know, gray area at times. So it's funny how, you know, some of us take these questions for granted, but when you ask them, you notice some patterns of things that are (laughs) obvious to some people and maybe people have different views in other ways. Yeah. And you mentioned though, as obviously it was a startup. So roughly how many people were there when you kind of first got started? Uh, It was small. It was under 20. Okay. As I'm curious, when you say you're doing interviews of every employee, it's like to start up, it could be anywhere from like three employees to like however many. It could be a lot more work, let's just say, if you had hundreds of employees. But 
I would imagine they'd have PR, sorry, not PR, but human resources in there before then. But knowing that you're interviewing all these employees first as a starting point, getting a feel for where the company is at, where do you take things from there? So themes arose of pain points or just areas for growth. And usually, this is very common for most startups, the first area to, of attack is recruiting. So everyone kind of has their own process. Balls are dropped when they're talking to a candidate because they pass along to the next interviewee and then they forget to update and no one knows who's supposed to respond to who. And that's extremely common. And so that was the first thing I did was understand how are people doing the hiring process now? And then just taking you know quick, easy steps to improve it. One of the ways was just setting a process, right? Here's how it goes A to Z and then managing that process. And also just having a way of uh, just a set idea of what are we talking about in each interview? What's the purpose? And then just communicating that out to everyone who's involved in the hiring process, having like a hiring kickoff meeting for each role and getting everyone aligned. So then everyone is knows the type of person we're looking for so that the interviews don't come back and it's this constantly moving target of, Oh, I thought we were going after this or what? That's not what I thought this role was. And from that, then knowing that that's kind of the starting point of this recruiting process, I mean, what other things are at play in your role? So you have the recruiting side of things, but what else is there with that when you're coming in here? So a lot of the things that I built out as well were more on the, yeah, the human resources, the internal side. So onboarding. How do we make sure that people know exactly like what it means to work at Gem and have them ramp up quickly? I built out review processes. So really having this time for the company to reflect on where it is and where employees think that there's areas for growth. Like as an annual review, I built that. I also built quarterly pool surveys that were... It's a very short survey. It was 8 statements and it actually really was a great mirror to us and even to share with the board of directors of the health of the organization, of the employee engagement and the retention. It was very predictive of when we had people who were at risk. And then we also did a 90-day review. So it was a very simple process for new hires. At 90 days, they would get a review of how they're doing because the first 90 days is such a tender time. And so to provide that for them was really important to their development. And then just as someone in HR, it was super important for me to examine our compensation and how we're approaching that and then also our benefits. Yeah. And there's so many different pieces here. I just want to step back for a second. So coming into this role then, did you have kind of like a roadmap of what you want to implement with this company? Or was it just kind of like, okay, we'll go from the interviews first and then we'll you have to tackle these different things. I'm just curious when you started, like what you were dealing with and how like you went about it. Yeah, I think it was definitely overwhelming in that I wanted to do everything at once. So you kind of just have to pick the thing that you think is the lowest hanging fruit and go attack that first, which was recruiting. And the second thing that people were really asking for, which just came up time and time again in my employee interviews and also the annual review that I ran, was building out the company values. Like, who are we? What makes us unified as a group? What do we all have in common? So I probably wouldn't have 
gone straight at that so quickly if it wasn't such a big topic that kept coming up. Yeah, because you're going off of that feedback. And to the point of company values, then how was that process for you and trying to organize all of that for the company and figure out what the values were actually were? Right. It's strange to come into a company and then be the quarterback of the values. You almost feel like you're a fraud. But it was cool because the team already was very people-oriented and had a lot of these things kind of... Like everything I was doing, the team had the intention to create these programs. It's just that there was no one to handle them and take them to the next level. And so they'd actually had an all-company retreat about two months before I joined and they had done an exercise where they discussed, you know, who are we and what do we have in common and what do we value? And fortunately, they had done a good job of documenting all of those thoughts. And so I got this just pile of documents of, of all, all these things that people were thinking about. And that was such an amazing starting point for me. And then from there, I was able to kind of synthesize those ideas into probably a I think it was about 12 focus areas, 12 kind of value areas that I noticed that were themes across all the employees' sentiments. And I sat down with our CEO and we just started just melding for four hours, I think. We were just in a room talking and then I'd go back and I'd synthesize what we had just talked about. And then we'd get in the room again a week later and we'd figure it out. And then we ended up narrowing it down to six and revealing that to the team and ended up being probably one of the most significant things we ever did for our culture. That's awesome. And knowing that you have these like six values, how are those implemented or displayed or used within the company then when you move forward? Right. Yeah. I think that making values is like not really like the achievement, right? It's like living them. Right. It's a starting point. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So what we did is... I think the starting point was definitely that these values had a lot of meaning behind them. They were things like destroy your masterpiece, right? It's this idea of we work in an industry that's changing constantly that we have to have, you know, the humility to say, you know what, a better solution has arised. So I or arose. And so I am going to go with that other solution. So there's like, these were very tied closely to what we believed. And so people really bought into them. That's the first thing. Then the next is we use these values as the way we would recognize people. So we would have these all company meetings every week. We called them gem sesh and we would recognize each other. We do shout outs every week. It'd be like this week would be craft an experience and who this week has crafted an experience. So that was a great way for people to really think about their coworkers through the lens of values. And I would say that the next way that was probably one of the most potent ways that we use these is that when we were hiring, when we were interviewing, we pick one or maybe two values that this person had to be basically like the shepherd of that value due to their role. So for some engineering roles, it was like seek knowledge. Like this person needs to be such an amazing learner. And, you know, because this industry is so new and there's so much to learn, like they should wake up every day and say, what can I learn new? Like, I don't want to just come in and do the same thing I've always done. And by having those discussions about not, is this person a culture fit? Like in a way that's kind of like, well, I wouldn't want to have a beer with them or, you know, whatever. It's more of like, 
does this person have these values? And we would have deep discussions on, does this person match up to this value? And, And seek knowledge is actually the number one value that we would reject engineers on because they'd be very good at their jobs, but we could tell that they didn't have like this desire to like learn about the latest and greatest technology. And so that we knew that they wouldn't be a good fit. Yeah. And with the recruiting side of things a bit more, so obviously that's on your end and kind of what you're looking for, for these different roles. And it's recruiting is such an important part of, of any startup. How do you think you portrayed that you're a company that people should actually work at and that people would want to work at, you know, from their perspective, from the outside perspective? Yeah. How do we kind of, I guess, get candidates really excited about the company? Is that what you mean? So I think that one thing that I kept hearing from candidates is that they could tell from the people they talked to that those people were excited to work where they work. And we would be very kind of open and specific about what we love about the company and and what we love about our coworkers. And I think that just having that working on your employees and the internal employee sentiment is then reflected in the interviews. And then also telling them that that is important to share those things and to not have those really cold interviews where you don't show your emotions and you're just firing questions at people. And, you know, that's just, that was just never our style. And I think also in every single interview, I guess it would be scorecard or feedback form. There's a question, what does this candidate want in their next opportunity? What are they looking for? What drives them? And that was really to make sure that everyone who's interviewing always was listening more than talking, was always thinking about what is this person, what gets them to wake up in the morning? And that's really the most important part of recruiting is understanding who you're talking to, what they need, and being really honest about if this is the right place for them or if it's not. Because in the end, if you hire this person and it's not a great match, that's going to be so much worse than if you had left the job open for another few weeks. And so I think just that focus on the person and working to make sure that, you know, if it is fitting with what their vision is for their future, then really index hard on talking about those things. But if it's not, then don't push it. Yeah. And once they've actually become an employee of the company, you mentioned a little bit the onboarding process. I'm curious as to how long that process is. And how much feedback are you really getting from the employee on how it's going in those initial weeks or months? Yeah. So the onboarding process is... I've always considered onboarding to be a 90-day endeavor, but not 90 days in that it's structured. There's something happening every week or anything like that. The first day of onboarding, or I guess the pre-first day, you want people to know exactly where to park and know what time to come in and know what kind of clothes to wear. And basically the pre first day, you want people to have as little anxiety as possible. Give them as many details as you can. The first day should always be structured or completely scheduled so that they never feel like they have to go and ask, Hey, what do I need to do? Where is this room? You know, you want them to feel like you are shepherding them through their experience and you know not letting them eat alone or anything like that. Beyond that, it's really important that to work with managers and make sure they have like a 90-day plan for their new team member. And so that's really kind of it's a bit of a handoff there. And then finally, I have several orientations and stuff, but 
One thing that I've found that was really, really appreciated by all new hires is taking the initiative to set up one-on-ones with them and as many people on the team as is practical. So, and just the objective of those one-on-ones should be just to build rapport, just to understand who are these people on the team? What do they do? And that actually helped them to get up to speed a lot faster because then when they needed help, they knew who had what answers. And they also felt not bashful about asking them because they already had that rapport built. Yeah. And how did that, like all these different aspects, how did they change as the company grew in size then? Yeah. So I would say that it definitely got more refined. And there's certain orientations I would do quarterly over, you know, not just every week or every time we hired someone. Um, like we had a culture orientation where it would really go through why do we run meetings this way? Why do we give feedback this way? Why do we have these certain values? And those would be quarterly. So you kind of have more like cohorts. I'm really excited and inspired because I'm designing like a quarterly retreat for new hires. So it's going to be like a couple days where we all go away and we learn about the business and the culture and bond. And I think that's going to be amazing. And so that's kind of the things you start doing once you're a little bit is you're growing and scaling and want to really preserve this precious time. That's the first 90 days. Yeah. And to that point, you mentioned they had the idea for the retreat with the new hires. And where are you thinking these ideas or learning about these things and finding ways to improve on your side of things? Where? Well, so I got my degree at USC, just like you, uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, the Masters of Science in Applied Psychology, which sounds super far out, but it's actually a degree that was really focused on organizational development and adult learning and how to build facilitations and learning experiences. And then also have the statistical background to be able to measure the results of that. And so that's where my love for building out all these experiences for employees came from. So I have that amazing network from USC of people who were my professors in the program and cohort members that also are now the people who I lean on to collaborate on ideas and continue to like share stories from our own organizations. Yeah, it's helpful to have those other people to lean on for sure. And with all these different things, I'm curious, you obviously kind of walked through the process of a little bit of acquiring talent and onboarding. And then I'm curious as to what are the keys to retaining talent, keeping people at a company? Because it's very important as well. What what are the, uh, the keys to that? Yeah, I would say if you were to just boil it down, I would say the three things are perceived control, right? People want to feel like they have some sort of autonomy, that they feel like there's some sort of transparency where they can make their own decisions. So any way that you can, you know, give people as much context as you can, or tell them what they need to do, but maybe not how to do it is super important. The second one is perceived progress. So that means, you know, giving them chances to grow. And one of the best things you can possibly do is actually like laterally move someone in the organization. You think that you need to promote everyone, but even just moving someone into a different job at the same level can do tremendous things for their perceived progress and just professional growth. And then the third thing is connectedness, right? Connectedness to the mission of the company, feeling like what they're doing 
matters. And then also connectedness to the people around them, having those important relationships, having those people they can go to when there's something wrong and feeling comfortable about, about that. And with your role as an HR and head of people operations, like was it just you or is there anyone else with you kind of helping on the people side of things? Uh, at my previous role? Yeah, at Gem. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I had help, but it was mostly me for a lot of the time. Okay. And then as you progressed to Inspire, which is very recent, how is that? Like, what, what have you done? This role so far, what have, has it been kind of the same type of deal in terms of implementing the systems and everything? Or how has that gone so far? Well, at Inspire, we have an HR, or I guess we call it our people team of golly, like 10 people. So it is luxurious um, <laughs> <laughs> with the amount of resources we have, uh, at least compared to what I'm used to. And so it has been a lot different in that, you know, before my attention was divided among a lot of different things. And now I'm really focused on the employee experience from the lens of learning, right? It's like I'm building out you know, this orientation process, but also I'm building out a five day retreat that the entire company is going in in June. I'm leading the all company meetings and how are we communicating to the company and making sure we're getting across certain themes and aligning everyone. And then I'm also building out like facilitations to improve communication among in and among teams. So I'm basically, it's like a slice of what I was doing before, but just on a larger scale and also just a lot more concentrated. Yeah. And with these roles with, you know, Inspire as well as Gem and anything previous, how is it getting the buy-in of CEOs or other executives or other people at the company with the things you want to implement? It is... I think I've just been very fortunate and... I like to think that I am at least a bit discerning with the teams that I join because if leadership at the top doesn't buy into these programs and doesn't see the business value, my job becomes not only extremely difficult to accomplish anything, but also a bit of smoke and mirrors. Like if I'm doing yeah. all these things and building out, you know, certain programs and the leadership kind of thinks it's a waste of time, then people also won't really buy into it. You know, you put out a survey. And if people don't think that if you're going to act on the feedback they gave you in the survey, then the whole function is kind of powerless. And so I've just been extremely fortunate, both at Inspire and Gem, of just leadership that fully understood that retaining our best people and hiring the best people is basically of the most crucial importance for the company to thrive. And so, yeah, it's been a breeze. Good. That's helpful. I'm sure it's not always that way necessarily in different roles with the HR side of things. So it's good that you've had a good experience so far. And what I want to get into now is self-made millennial. Tell me how you started with that exactly. Yeah. So at Gem, I was the one who was in all the meetings about knowing you know, who's going to be promoted and how decisions were being made in the company, as well as seeing hiring managers review resumes and what they were saying about certain candidates after the interviews. And it was all things that they weren't some sort of big secret, but it was more of, I wish people would have known what goes on behind the scenes just so that they could better present themselves in their career and really progress a lot more quickly. And I think just from having this insider perspective, it made me really compelled to want to help people and just say, Hey, here's what's going on. 
And so I started just responding to resumes that were sent in and telling them quickly why they were not chosen. And even maybe even giving a tip about being like, hey, your cover letter, it's kind of coming off as a bit of a template. I'd recommend you, you know, do these X, Y, and Z things to make it a little bit more personalized. And that would, I could see that standing out among these other applicants. Anyways, so this ended up being a disaster. People either got really mad at me, like they would write back being like, who do you think you are? Like, you know, just and understandably, right? It's I'm giving them unsolicited feedback. Or others would kind of take it to the next level where they would be like, okay, I'm going to edit my resume. I'm going to send it back to you. Then we'll hop on the phone. We'll talk about it. Like it just kind of turned into this like massive like time suck. And so I just thought this is taking up too much time and emotional energy and I there has to be a better way. And so I don't know how the crazy idea I came up with because I, I didn't even think about blogging. I just thought, what's something really hard that I could do? And I was like, why don't I, you know, create a, a video series of all these ideas? And so I just wrote down a bunch of ideas on a Google Doc. And hours later I emerged and I was like, holy moly, I just wrote like 20 episodes in a few hours. Like this feels good. This feels like something that I could be really excited about. And so then I launched it, launched a channel in October of 2017. Wait, so you said you didn't even consider like blogging or any other mediums. Why video? I I just love video and I love editing, I guess. And so, and it just seemed kind of like a big challenge. Like I I have a journalism background and so I I was very comfortable writing, but I was like, I just want to do something a little bit more out of my comfort zone. And so that's why I chose YouTube. That's awesome. And when writing that content down, you said you had like a bunch of ideas. Were you writing out like a structure, a script, whatever for those episodes initially? Yes. So I was not an off the cuff talker, especially at the beginning. (laughs) I was very stiff. It's hard. It's really hard. I was very (laughs) nervous and I would script out each episode. Yes. Okay. And so you script out each episode as it's evolved. I think you've done what, almost 80 videos or roughly 80 videos now. How has that changed? I've always liked scripting out the videos because my goal, one of my kind of, I guess, value propositions of the channel is to give as much information as possible in a short amount of time. And I really value being concise. And so I do script it out, though... Now that I'm 80 videos deep, I found that I can script it out and also ad lib a bit and kind of put my own spin on it. So I know what I'm going to say, but I'm able to kind of be more comfortable in the content. And so it doesn't always end up being exactly what I wrote, but there is always a script. I've never just had bullet points and just, you know, shot from the hip. Yeah, I think it's helpful to have. And even when uh, someone, I think it was, so it was Allison uh, Monaghan McGuire, another podcast guest mentioned doing pitch competitions. She's like won every pitch competition. And one of the things she said was always write it out and you have the idea of what it's going to be. And yeah, you can ad lib a little bit, but that gives you the confidence and also has, it gives you also a backup as well. Cause you know, you could just say what you've memorized anyways, if you really had to, and you would be good to go. With all the stuff you're doing with the video side, then with the content, how are you now deciding what content to produce? Is there a content calendar or how does that go for you? Yeah. So I've told people, uh, several people this, and I guess it's not generally the way other people do it. I have this massive Google Doc that at this point is over 300 pages long. And every time I have an idea of a topic, 
I create like a title on the Google Doc and I just start typing out the idea. And I have a table of contents at the top that's hyperlinked. So I can jump to each of the topics easily within the 300 pages. And every time I go back to a topic and add more and start flushing it out, I add like a little star next to the title. So in the table of contents, there's like certain number of stars next to each topic. And once it gets to three stars, that means, okay, this episode is about ready to film. And then when it comes around, I usually film every other Sunday or so, depending on if I'm traveling. And I film the the episodes that have the three stars next to them. How many typically are you filming at times? I imagine batching is a much easier process. How does that go for you? Yeah, I would say it kind of depends on my energy level. (laughs) Some days I always do at least two. And then I think the most I ever did was four. And I think that was rare. It's just, there's so much energy that goes into each one that after three, I'm pretty tapped. Yeah, I totally get that. I think the most for podcasts in a day was like three maybe. And next week I have four in a row. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> it should be fun, but yeah, I understand that can be draining. And with everything you're doing with that, I mean, you also have partnered with other people, had different people on the show. How does that go? How are you choosing those partnerships kind of happen organically? How does that go for you? Yeah, it's been so funny. And I am sure, Justin, you experience this as well, is that when you start making content and you put it out there, you just start meeting people on the internet. Like this is really the first time, I guess, since maybe like AOL and some messenger that I've had like internet friends, you know, and it's been super fun. And so, you know, I'll put out stuff and then people will comment on it or something, or someone will say, Hey, I've been thinking about the same thing too. And then we'll start chatting. And so it happens very organically. And so I've made a lot of friends just through this universe. And like, you know, I met you through these people who I met through LinkedIn. But then you and I also have several other mutual friends that I also like met through like my professional network. And like, so it's amazing how connected everyone is. And it, it's just been really fun. Yeah. And there's something to be said, like you mentioned, for putting out content putting yourself out there and the things you know that one can help other people and two can help you through the process. You just never know who you're going to meet or be connected with. And it's incredible. It is incredible to just, you never know those connections that will be made from that. And your channel now, I mean, it's got thousands of subscribers. How has that grown or what do you think has helped it grow over time the most? Yeah. There's been several inflection points where it's been really cool to see. I think that what I've noticed is that people really like the consistency. Like without a doubt, a video is coming out every week and you have that same consistency as well. And I think that that is so important because when you do one great video, one great podcast now and then, people don't really think anything of it. But if they see you 7, 8, 15 times popping up, and they're liking every time. That's where I've been able to get my momentum is people saying, Hey, like I didn't just see like one video of you once. Like I've seen you over and over again showing up and providing sincere quality content. And I think that's been my, I guess, approach this entire time is just be consistent, show up, and people have been really receptive to it. Yeah. I mean, the consistency part of it is what people say 
all the time when it comes to anything business content creation related, whether it be yeah, video or podcasting or blogging or anything. It's just that consistency. People come back to it. They know you're going to show up every time. So they keep following you or they subscribe. You're not going to subscribe to someone who never... You don't know where they're going to create their next piece of content. It's totally different. <laughs> like It's totally different if you know. It's like, oh yeah, Madeline has a video coming out next week. Okay, well, I'll subscribe and get that notification. And with Self Made Millennial, obviously you mentioned how it started, but where do you want this to go moving forward? Yeah. So I definitely going to keep the videos going. That has been such an amazing way to connect with people. Uh, so that's not going away anytime soon. You know, I recently launched my book and that has been a really great success. And so I um, definitely want to provide more resources to people like that. And then I've also been doing a lot of workshops. And so it's made me realize that premium content is really something that people are looking for. So in the future, I'm definitely going to build more premium content, more than just the my shorter videos, but some more longer forms, some, some things that might uh, inqu- require some more uh, detail and interaction. Can you go a little bit further on the premium content and the ideas you have or what you think that entails exactly? I'm curious. Yeah. So I am putting together an online course right now. One of the most common things I get is really how to master LinkedIn and really use that to launch your career forward and also just be noticed and known and build relationships in a way that is more proactive rather than reactive. And so I have just compiled so much both about how to like things that you wouldn't ever really know about the tool, like you know, how to kind of show LinkedIn that you are a more valuable candidate than other people or or kind of get the, you know, the platform on your side, as well as how to interact with people and how to, you know, psychologically, what are some of the ways to engage with people that will really stand out and build deeper relationships. You know, like I said, these internet friends where it's (laughs) not just a passive platform, but it's something that you really are engaging with. So that has been something I'm really going deeper on. That's awesome. And that's definitely some things I've been thinking about as well with how I'm going to be spending the next few months, especially in summer, working on online courses and premium content as well, based on the audience needs and what they're kind of looking for. And you mentioned the book. I want to go deeper into that. So what's the title of the book? What exactly is it? Yes. So the book is Fill in the Blank Job Hunt, Essential Email Templates for Your Job Search. And this is a book that when I looked at the sheer volume of emails I was getting of people asking questions about, they'll take me through this entire thing of like, so I had this interview with this place and then I sent them this email and then they sent me this email. And then, you know, should I now follow up? What should I say? Or they would tell me about other situations of just like, how do I email them back? Or how do I approach this person at this company I want to talk to? Or they just sent me an offer. How do I reply back about my expectations around compensation? All these questions. It was just like, how do I email them back? Like, Or how do I start the conversation? And I was like, this is paralyzing for these people. Like, They're honestly... They probably would be able to really grab this opportunity by the horns if they had been more proactive, if they had sent this thank you note, if they had written and told them XYZ things about their other interviews to kind of make them seem more attractive to this other employer. There's all these things. And so I was like, I'm just going to write every single email I would ever use in the job search. I'm going to make it really obvious about where they should change you know, the company name or fill in this one little detail to make it customized to that person. 
And I'm going to give them examples of all the templates filled in so that they're not, there's no confusion about what I mean when I say fill in the blank here. And I put it all in a book, um, in a digital ebook, and I sold it. And it's just been, people have been loving it. It's had such great results and people are like moving so much faster in their job search than they would have otherwise. And that was exactly the point. Like this is not a book to read. This is a book to take action. Yeah. And how long did it even take to put together then? Sounds like a lot. Yeah. So fortunately, all of these emails with these people were kind of like my pre-writing, right? Like these emails were every time I write an email, I'd think, wow, this is amazing context that everyone should know. Like, I'm not just telling them here, write this email. I say, well, here's what's happening in the interview process right now. Here's how they're probably thinking. And here's, you know, so while it did take, you know, a bit of time and especially just really understanding exactly what needs to go into the book. Fortunately, it was something that was so top of mind for so many people that I was kind of working on it all along. Yeah. And with this book that you mentioned, it's obviously sold well so far. Like, What are some of the ways you got the word out about it after you know you have this book ready to roll? You're excited about this. What were some of the things you did to kind of spread the word about it? Yeah. I will say that this is not something I'm great at is like self-promoting or marketing or anything like that. You know, I, I pushed out to my email list. I announced it on LinkedIn. I pushed it out to my personal networks. And really, the kind of the crazy thing is, is just that, you know, even though I didn't do anything, I didn't do any ad spend or anything major. Like it was more of just telling everyone I know through my social networks that I have this book and the sales came. Like they just, it's because for a year and a half, I've been putting out content. So when I said, Hey, now I'm selling something, people were like, okay, we trust you. You know, we'll buy it. We get you. And so it was kind of this wonderful moment of just people being like, yeah, like we're with you. Yeah. And like you said, you had been putting in the work before that to put out content and to build that trust over time, which is an important thing to underline there in the first place. Not like you just started and oh, here's a book on some things. It's like, well, who are you? But since you already had that content, <laughs> it's so helpful to have that out already. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's funny because you do see people try to do that. And it's just like, it's funny because even if someone is very knowledgeable, if people don't know they're knowledgeable by them having put out content related to that, it's not going to help them. That's why I do kind of push people to, oh, why don't you start something and let people know? Because even if you are, like I said, just that knowledgeable person, I have no idea of knowing unless I know you for pretty closely. So it's super helpful that you had that, then sell the book from there. And obviously it gives you a platform and leverage moving forward with whatever else you want to do. And one of the things I'm curious about, obviously looking back through your career so far and the work you've done, if you... You know, we want to build a team from scratch again or kind of implement that people operations side of things. What would you do starting over again from scratch? Starting over from, from scratch, like a totally like fresh company, like I just founded one. Yeah, exactly. So I would say I have had people approach me to like start companies with them. And I really view it as like a marriage. Like the first people who you either start the company with or found it with, which is even more serious, is like, it's not just, you know, oh, do you have the skills? It's like, do we have the compatibility? Like, are we aligned? Do we really work well together to where we could work absurd amount of hours together and still be able to make this work? So I think that's the first thing is really understanding, like being 
you know, or like if you're ever deciding to move in with someone, right. And someone gives you like a roommate quiz of like, you know, or do you like having people over or not? Like, that's kind of like, almost you should do that with a co-founder, right. Is like, like, let's get down and dirty about like what actually pushes your button, what actually is valuable to you. So I think that's the first thing. Also, I think it's very normal for us to bring on people who we really trust, right? From our childhood, from our college experience, whatever. Those are usually the people we start a company with. But I feel like if you look around the room and there's five of you in there and you all are kind of cut from the same cloth, like you're kind of the same people, you're all from the same sorority or, you know, you're all from the same neighborhood or, you know, whatever, like you have a diversity issue. And I think that a lot of companies don't like, if you're looking around the room and the five people are the same, then that's an issue. It's not looking around the room at 50 and they're all the same. That's ever the issue or a hundred or a thousand. Like, I don't want to say you're too late, but like, you should have been thinking about that when you were a room of the exact same people at five. And so I think that's the thing that I want to emphasize the most for people starting businesses is like, you know, don't be so almost like kind of tapping the person next to you. Hey, come join my company. Like be proactive at that early, you know, if you have the three of the same type of person, you know, really reach outside of your, I guess, very tight knit close network and find someone else who can bring a new perspective. And then the whole idea of diversity, you're going to be amazed that you're probably not going to have to address it again. If you're just focused on that in your top 10 people. But that's hard to do, Madeline. How do we do that? <laughs> how do you come, How do you get outside then? How do you meet those people? Or how do you go about that and then still build that trust? I'm just curious on what your perspective is on that. Yeah, I think it is hard. And I think it's extremely intentional, right? Like you just have to be intentional about it, about saying, okay, like I keep going to these same dinners with these same people who we've all known each other since you know college or whatever. I'm going to kind of go to this different type of event where I'm going to feel a little out of place. I'm going to look around and maybe they're going to be people from, you know, a different country or a different background or something like that. And I'm, you know, basically go somewhere where you feel a little bit uncomfortable, but you know, obviously it should still be business oriented and that kind of stuff. And just try to, you know, break through your boundaries. I really think that this early, you know, hiring can just change the face of your entire organization, you know, once you scale to a thousand plus. Right. So putting that early emphasis on the people side of things and spending more time on that is definitely worthwhile in the long run, especially as you plan to grow and scale your company potentially. And one of the things you mentioned earlier in the conversation, just talking about how you've kind of learned and grow, grown through the people like USC Network, but are there any other, whether it be books or podcasts or audiobooks or conferences or anything else that's kind of been helpful for you kind of along your career journey so far? Yeah, I would say that... Have you listened to the podcast Entree Leadership? I've heard of it. I have not. Is that a Dave Ramsey or no? Yeah, yes. yeah, it is. I would say it's just so crazy how I listen to one of those podcasts and I'll have... It'll just spur so many ideas and the, each topic is diverse. Like there's lots of different specialists that come on and they just do such a good job. So it feels like you've almost like read a book every time you <laughs> do it. Like it's one of the, you know, the most common podcasts I've listened to where I have like a notepad out when I'm listening to it. It's that good. And then the one that just I absolutely love, um, which is very popular, is How I Built This. Have you have you listened to that one? Oh, yes. Guy Raz. Yeah, it's so good. Oh, gosh. And you just hear... And you just hear... It, it really puts me in this situation of really 
understanding that every single company, it seems that has been had success has had his hit rock bottom at some point, or has had some sort of like amazing triumph over something that seemed almost impossible. And so I think that even just having hearing those stories has helped me to really, I guess, not see success as something that's this unattainable thing, but just something that really takes, you know, perseverance and the right people. Right. And it shows you that it it can be done. It's one of those things that I struggle with a little bit too, in terms of there is a survivorship bias though, right? Like these people you see, they took these risks and these challenges and they overcame it, built these big companies. And I think it's also important to understand that obviously a lot of people probably did similar things and just failed and we don't know about them. That's so, true. <laughs> so it is like tricky at times, but it's comforting to know that yes, you can make it and it can be done. You can build the company you want or whatever it may be, but just understanding as well that yeah, there's there's people that aren't on there because they didn't make it, even though they tried the same the same the same things. Far more people who are not on there who have probably attempted something very similar. That's so true. Yeah. And just looking back at your career, this is one of the, the last questions I have. I'm just curious as to any other big lessons or takeaways you have from it so far. Yeah. I would say that even though I'm a talking head on this YouTube channel and all this stuff, that I've really come to see that listening and asking good questions is just far more valuable than talking. I would say that that is even in, you know, the learning development programs I build, like just when I'm building out these programs, I'm thinking about there's so much knowledge in the room that I'll be talking to. And how do I bring out that knowledge? Like my facilitation would be around how do I kind of, you know, bring that to the surface so that that can be the teaching versus thinking that I have the answers. And it was even like kind of this weird, funny moment is that I answer questions on Quora. I don't know if you've been on oh, that yeah. site. Oh yeah, I've done a lot of questions on there. Yeah, yeah. I love Quora. Yeah. So for anyone who is unfamiliar, it's just this this website where you just go on and you can ask a question, and people give very thoughtful, thorough answers. It's kind of a more sophisticated Yahoo Answers, and I'm pretty active on there. I have like over three million views on my answers, and so Quora reached out to me and they're like, "Hey, you should be a Quora partner." Like you know, we want you to be, you know, sharing some of the profits of being on our site. And I said, okay, cool. And they didn't want me to answer questions. They wanted me to ask questions. Quora only people to ask questions. And I thought that was such a perfect metaphor for life in that it's like, it's not about being the best person to talk more. It's about asking really thoughtful questions that gets the right conversations going. And so that's really something that I am constantly trying to remind myself of. And every time I do, and I act in that way, it has led to good results. Yeah. Just start a podcast, Madeline. Then you just ask questions the whole time. (laughs) 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 There you go. Problem solved right there. Then you're forced to ask questions more than you probably are comfortable with. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) That's a good way to do it. You've mastered it. I'm trying, trying very hard. Um, And where can people go to learn more about you and what you're doing? Totally. So definitely check out my YouTube channel. It's youtube.com slash self-made millennial. I also would love to connect with you all on LinkedIn, LinkedIn slash in slash Madeline man. But do leave me a little note saying that you found me on the Just Go Grind podcast. 
And madelineman.com, that's where you can see more of what I'm up to, some events I'm speaking at, as well as you can buy fill in the blank job hunt there. And I did create a coupon code for all the Just Go Grind listeners for 15% off. And it's all one word, Just Go Grind. Awesome. Madeline, thank you so much. Everyone go check it out. So many good things that I've already peaked at the YouTube channel and everything else you've been doing. It's amazing. Thanks for the time today. Yes. Thank you so much, Justin. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. As always, the show notes are over at justgogrind.com slash podcast. And you can support the show over at patreon.com slash justgogrind. And please, please leave a rating and review over on iTunes. It does help more people find the show. Hope you enjoy this episode. Have a great day.